1: For free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: From Postcard from the Past and Wardour Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard podcast. This is a place where the sea is as flat as the postcard it sits on, the sky as blue as a forget-me-not... And only the red-jumpered families, giant kittens and flamenco dancers with stick-on skirts, break the dream. As we investigate, picture postcards and explore what it was that caused us to keep hold of these small, ephemeral rectangles. Each time, I welcome two guests, and it's their postcards that act as small clues to direct us towards memories, mysteries and stories. I'm Tom Jackson, and I'm delighted to say that today my guests are two writers, uh, Edward Parnell and Emma Flint. Emma and Ed, welcome to Podcasts from the Past. Thank you. Right there, thank you. Now, uh, Emma Flint has a fascination with uh, and an alarming encyclopaedic knowledge of real-life murder cases, um, which led her, I presume, to write Little Deaths, her brilliant, stifling retelling of a horrific true story set, I think, in 1960s New York. Um, we all know right. that strange things happen in hot weather. And um, as we're in a heatwave at the time of recording, um, hopefully nothing as disturbing as the contents of that book will happen to us. (laughs) I'll give nothing away, but it's the story of the magnetic, dangerous, complicated uh, Ruth Malone and a series of deadly events, one hot night in Queens, New York, in 1965. Uh, Emma joins us today bearing a NE3 postmark. What's that?
3: That is... It relates to the house where I grew up. Um, we moved oh, there. Very specific. It's very specific. It's a specific house on a specific street. Um, and it actually relates to one of the postcards that I'm going to talk about later. Okay. Um, I lived there from... We'll come to that. <laughs> okay. No, but go I on. Li- I lived there from about the age of two or three to the age of 10. And it's not the place where I've lived longest. I've... I actually lived in my current flat for longer than that, I think. But it's a house that really embedded itself in me, I suppose. Um, it's a house where I learned to read. It's, the house where, uh, it, it's a house that sort of features in a lot of the stuff that I write. Not necessarily the house itself, but the atmosphere of the house and thoughts and feelings I had in that house. Wow. Um, I dream about it a lot. Was some. this a happy
2: place?
3: It was a, well, you know, it, it was a childhood, and I don't think any childhood is ever 100% happy or unhappy, but it, it just really, it, it really deeply affected me. Um, and I can see it really clearly now. I can remember, for example, the texture of the carpet in my bedroom, which I haven't felt for 35 years.
2: Wow. Gosh, it's funny. It's, 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 it's light-hearted, thing to say. It's funny the things you remember, though, isn't it? It is. The funny. details.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I right. guess it's the place where I also started writing. I wrote my first novel when I was uh, nine or ten. Um, Good Lord. Still, still unpublished. If anyone, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if anyone would like to make me an offer, um, it was a it was a crime novel, and what it was <laughs> <laughs> it was a retelling of uh, Agatha Christie, who I would just discovered. That,
2: uh, uh, that retelling, that, that sounds like a that sounds slightly dangerous word.
3: Well, I, think, I think copy is probably more accurate, <laughs> given that I was about nine years old. Um, so maybe it's the place where I started noticing things in a lot of detail, which is obviously a requirement for being a writer.
2: Very good. Well, it sounds like we're going to hear a bit more about that. Um, Emma, do you still send postcards?
3: I do. Not as many as I used to. Um, I send them when I go away and occasionally I send them if I'm in a shop and I see one and I and I think of someone when I see that postcard I, I will buy it and send it to them. They but, saw
2: this but, and thought of you syndrome.
3: Mm, exactly but um, interestingly and I, I know we're going to come on to this but interestingly both of the postcards that I'm going to talk about today I bought about 25 years ago and that wasn't a conscious decision I only realized after I'd sent them to you. So I think probably I used to send an awful lot more.
2: I think the general trend is very much towards people not sending postcards. There are plenty of other ways to communicate.
3: That's true, but, you know, email can be... You hear the ping of an email, and uh, I don't know about you two, but I often think, oh, God, it's another thing I've got to read and reply to. Whereas if you get a postcard or a card through your letterbox, it's generally a, a happy thing. It's generally a kind of little cheerful moment in your day um, because someone was thinking about you or they wanted to send you a picture of something or whatever it is.
2: Well, exactly, Um, because a brown envelope can occasionally be good news. It's broadly (laughs) not good news, but at least a postcard kind of... um, It reveals itself very quickly on the doormat.
3: Yes, that's true. There are no surprises. There's no opening a letter and expecting one thing and getting something else.
4: (laughs) You don't have to say, I'll open that later. You generally don't have to reply to a postcard as well,
2: which is a bonus.
3: Oh, that's... That's the brilliant thing about postcards, isn't
2: it? Yes, no action required. Is it? It's just—it's a thing that just sits there as a little bit of a, a good—a good wish towards you.
3: Yep, you just have to put them on your fridge. <laughs> go on
2: with your day. <laughs> exactly, that's what mantelpieces are built for. Well, um, we'll come back to more details about this house, I think, later on, Emma. But um, Edward Parnell is the author of an award-winning novel, uh, *The Listeners*. But most recently, he's written *Ghostland*. Um, in Search of a Haunted Country. It is a suitably shape-shifting story, a story about ghost stories. Um, and, in fact, it's a useful guide to ghost stories and their authors and their settings. But, actually, it is rather more than that. Um, it, it's also, effectively, a travel book. It's, above all, a memoir. Um, and it's an inquiry into our relationship with... Um, with the ghosts that haunt us all and Ed comes to us today with a PE32 postmark I think I can just make that out
4: uh yes I think I think that's the one I would go for so that's the the postcode of the the tiny hamlet in West Norfolk um that my grandmother lived in where my my dad grew up um it's a little village called East Walton, and it, we used to visit it. I lived about an hour away in South Lincolnshire in the Fens. So when we used to go there, I don't know, every six weeks or so for Sunday lunch to, to visit my grandmother, I, I just loved the place because there are all these woods that I, I could wander around and wander around. My, un, my uncle and great uncle who lived there as well. Mm. Um, I used to go in the summer holidays for two or three years uh, when I was sort of... 12 or 13 that sort of age and I really enjoyed the freedom of just wandering around bird watching and looking at nature and going on long walks and things so I also really liked, though all the kind of stories that seemed accumulated to me in this kind of cut off little place there was lots of folklore and old legends there was a an infamous pit called the devil's pit which probably every village has which was meant to be
2: bottomless and there were good name for various, it though
4: yeah, various apocryphal stories around that, and lots of other, lots of other things like that. So I, I could sort of see where where some of the attraction of of the of the later kind of ghost stories
2: where it came from. Um, and that, where were you landscape. hearing these stories from when you were there? Was it was it from your grandparents, or was it?
4: Yeah, it was my, my nan would tell me them, or my my uncle and great uncle would tell me them. There was you know there was a lot of folklore and uh, lots of kind of. I guess village legends and things, so uh, that was there wasn't much else going on there, so that was probably <laughs> the the main thing to talk about, I suspect
2: but you would t- it does feel like you're taking a trip to somewhere really very different in, 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 you know in many ways then
4: yeah, well it certainly I think to me it, it most felt like it from a landscape point of view because where I grew up it was this kind of arable flat wilderness and yeah it was still it was still an arable farming region there but actually it had there was lots of woodland around there and little streams and watercress beds and you know sheep uh, fields with sheep and cattle and it just seemed very different to the the place I grew up so you know I, I was really attracted to that and there'd be barn owls hunting over the meadow and and all stuff like that it it was great yeah wonderful and now when did you last send a postcard? Um. Mm. I, I do occasionally still send them. I'm kind of running out of people to send them to because all of all of the the kind of aunts and uncles who I used to send them to until more recently are sadly no longer around. Um, mm. So it's now occasionally I send them if if there's something to a friend that I think will appreciate it. Uh, but I still buy lots of postcards in charity shops and junk shops and things uh for the images or you know sometimes for the, the story that's on the back of them but i definitely don't send as many which i guess i i should make more effort to um but it's sometimes I, i'm not entirely convinced you know if i sent if i sent one to my niece I'm, I'm not convinced she'd even know what it was
2: so <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh dear well uh, before we see and hear about the cards that ed and brought along I'll give you a quick card of mine um, this is in the postcard from the past style, like I do on Twitter, in the book. Um, so it's an old card, not not a sort of very old, but an old card, from which I've selected just a part of the message. So this is a card of St Paul's Cathedral uh, at night. Um, it's it's a really bog-standard, cheap little card, um, printed in Spain, as as cards were in the 1980s quite often. Um and it has a picture of St Paul's at night with empty roads, and a sort of it's been a sort of um, uh, lengthy exposure because you can see the red tail lights of the cars as if it were painted on the road, and the sky I think has been added in. It's got a rather dramatic, almost sort of purple look to it. But it intrigued me because it had a story in it that I thought um, uh, had a, had a sense of uh, irony, irony in the sense of I'm not sure the author quite understood all the implications. Anyway, it's sent to Hampshire from Hounslow in... Actually, it's 1972. It's a bit older than I thought. It says, uh, we are still... This is from someone called Jane. It says, we are still at the airport due to uh, 12 hours... We are still at the airport due to a delay, 12 hours after we should have left. We hope to get away soon. Luckily, we met a French man who took us to his flat in Kensington for the night. Others had to sleep in the airport. Uh, well, well, I mean, you it sounds like it's OK. It sounds like she's moved on from there. But it just sounded a little bit sinister, this uh, <laughs> mystery Frenchman with his flat in Kensington picking up people at the airport. Anyway, um, well, another quick one. This is also London. It's a bit of a London theme for this Um Episode I don't know. I must have put my hand in the in the London box. This is a shot of um, a uh, a lifeguard, um, a soldier, not a person who keeps you safe at a swimming pool, and it, it, a wonderful uh, image. I think it's from 1964, August 1964. Um, something about the quality of the photograph is um, very appealing. The, the dull red and the um, even the background detail. There's a little boy in a suit, um, a little bit overweight. Uh, looking rather askance at the uh, at the lifeguard. He also looks about forty-seven, doesn't he?
3: He looks like Boris Johnson. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, had to say it. <laughs> um, yeah, he certainly looks like a sort of man-child rather than just a child. I <laughs> don't quite know what's going on there. Um, anyway, um, it's very simple. This is this is uh, sent, as I say, from from London, and it was sent to London. It was sent to Bewdley Street, London N1. Um, printed in Italy, this one actually. Um, Threatney stamp on it from the International Botanical Congress. I don't know if you remember that in 1964. And it says, um, Thank you so much for Saturday. Need I say more than I never had a more wonderful time? M. <laughs> so I think that's, uh, I don't know, I don't know. Something mysterious, probably romantic. Not sure. Anyway, I should remind those of you listening to the podcast, uh, the images of these cards are going to be on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can see that the cards are real. Now, luckily, Emma and Ed have dug out some cards for this long-distance recording. Um, Emma, let's start with you, and the first card you're going to discuss is, is a green, large green card with a footprint on it, is that right?
3: It is, yeah.
2: Well, what's this all about? (laughs)
3: Um, I brought this along because I was going through my postcards and my cards and my diaries and my letters. Um, And I actually have this one on the wall in my kitchen. And I thought, I'm just going to bring this one along because it always makes me really happy when I look at it. Um, I bought it, or maybe it was free, I I can't really remember. In uh, the Scottish Poetry Library in Edinburgh, ah. in the late nineties, um, it's is that on the Royal Mile? It is on the Royal Mile. It's moved nice. now, but it, it right. yeah, it it's still on the Royal Mile. It's just moved um, slightly further along. Right. Um, I used to work just around the corner from the Scottish Poetry Library, and I ah. used to go there in my lunch breaks to write two or three times a week, and. At that time, it was much smaller and much less grand than it is now. And it was kind of a little haven for me. I was working in my first job. I was 22. I was in a city where I didn't know many people. I was trying to work out what I wanted to do with my life. What I really wanted to do was write, but uh, I didn't know any writers and I didn't know how you became a writer and I didn't have the confidence to write, Um, except in these little snatched moments. And this postcard always reminds me of how precious those moments were. Um, it's, it's a postcard with, uh, with a poem on the front, which was written by a little boy called Ryan, Ryan Wood, aged 10 years. Um, I've got no idea who Ryan is. Presumably he's in his mid-30s now and he might have forgotten all about writing the poem.
2: Well, Ryan's on the show next week, actually.
3: <laughs> with his poem, Green Train" And with his Nobel Prize. <laughs> Um, I've kept it for 25 years, and
2: it's a very modern at... design. It doesn't look it doesn't look 25 years old, does yeah. You? But but time goes quick.
3: It goes horrifically quick. <laughs> when I was working out when I'd bought it, I thought, Good grief, that feels very recent. Um, and I was looking at it um, the other day and thinking, Why have I kept this card? Why why have I carried it around? You know, from Edinburgh to London through house moves uh why this card and i think it's it's literally just because it makes me smile when i read it it's really simple and it's really true and it's a good reminder to me that you don't have to use long fancy words or complicated sentences to be a writer you just have to write down what you feel or what you see in a really clear true way so that other people can experience it um my favorite thing about this postcard or this poem is that you can really hear his voice especially in the line um it's about his green trainers and he says I feel very bright like grass blowing from side to side a very nice feeling to have like and getting a breeze in and I was reading this earlier and I thought I reckon more than 99% of people would have written letting a breeze in because that's a fairly common phrase but Ryan wrote getting a breeze in because that's what sounded right to him (laughs) and whenever I read that line I can hear the voice of a little boy in Edinburgh and it always reminds me to write what sounds right to me in my voice rather than choosing something that might be more easily understood that's why I really love this
2: it's very good and getting a breeze in is a bit more active isn't it letting a breeze in you just let it happen but he's made the effort (laughs) and it worked he has the it most works. feeling.
3: Yes. Yeah. And I, I love the idea that, you know, there's a footprint on the card and Ryan made Ryan's poem made a little footprint in my life and off he's gone, he's run off um, and he's living his life somewhere and I have no idea where or how.
4: That's fantastic. Hopefully he's, hopefully he's still wearing green trainers because they, they sound great.
3: They do, don't they? That's the <laughs> other thing I like about them. It's not like green trainers have become really popular. You don't see them very often.
2: No well um what uh, one thing I did notice that when I was reading and i am w- was looking for postcards in a, in a perhaps a slightly monomanic way in little deaths, I did spot a postcard at one point I don't know if you may not even remember it Emma but um there's a moment when a detective looks underneath a bed and he finds a box or a bag full of correspondence, and it's sort of I think fairly cagey about it, but it's some kind of erotic or certainly um, disreputable correspondence, and there are postcards in there, I believe.
3: Mm, that's right. I hadn't even thought about the significance of that until you've just mentioned it, but, <laughs> yes, he pulls out a, a, a small suitcase or a vanity case or something which belongs to my main character. Um, she's woken up one morning, her children have disappeared, the police come to the house to, to take her statement and to start a search, and they start searching the apartment. And they pull this suitcase out from under the bed. And as they're opening it, she tells one of the police officers, that's nothing to do with my children, that's mine, that's my property. And he just ignores her and he opens it. And there's this kind of cascade of love letters and cards and postcards and business cards. And the idea behind that was to show that she's... um, a woman with an active sex life she's she's kept all these postcards they're all from different men, and immediately this puts her under suspicion in the eyes of the police and It didn't really occur to me until you've just said it that of course love letters are are you know they're a, they're a, a thing that we recognize, but the idea of writing loving or erotic messages on postcards to a, to a woman, especially a married woman who lives with her husband. It's quite a strange one. And it's never occurred to me till now to wonder what quite. was written on those postcards.
2: No, although I suppose they could always just be sort of... Um, well, perhaps like the one we just we just read, you know. What, what did it say? You know, I never had a more wonderful time. Mm. That's enough to... Uh, in, in the world in which your book is set, that would certainly be enough to, to set off alarm bells.
3: Yeah. It's a good uh, it's a good mystery, I think.
2: And I suppose there's that sense of, you know, it, um, crimes are solved by evidence and, and there was a whole pile of evidence. It may have been irrelevant, but they mm. had something to put in the evidence box.
3: And I think what else is interesting about the fact there were postcards in that box is that I'm fairly sure I would have taken the list of what was in the case. So letters, cards and postcards, I think I probably took that from a factual book on the case. Ah. So that was actually that was actually what was happening in 1965. People were sending postcards to each other in the way that we would now send text messages saying, yes. are you still on for tonight? Or last night yes. was amazing, whatever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> dear, I oh dear. Well, it, it, it leapt out at me. It, it, you know, it's, not, it's not the most salient detail or even the most memorable part of the book, but it, 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 just, it just caught my eye very good well thank you for showing us the uh, the green trainers ed let's let's go to your doormat what's what's <laughs> flopped onto your doormat <laughs> so um,
4: i think we're are we going to look at the postcard with stonehenge on
2: yes yes a classic really uh, uh, as a subject matter for postcards stonehenge
0: but yeah. yours
2: is a a colour portrait shaped um, card showing. What's the name of that uh, that particular bit of Stonehenge? I'm sure you know.
4: Oof. Um, is it... I'm looking on the back, and it's the <laughs> postcard, which says, P7 Stonehenge Wiltshire Trilithons
2: 53 to 4. So Okay, I'm, it's a Trilithon. Yeah, possibly. Three stones, I suppose. <laughs> yeah,
4: my my archeo- archaeological knowledge isn't all that great, <laughs> but um, I know that the, the card... The reason I chose it is um it's it's one of the few cards that I've got um well, that was from my mother to uh not to me, it was it was sent from my mum's honeymoon, mum and dad's honeymoon, um in nineteen sixty-five. So Goodness. yeah, they, they spent their first night after leaving Lincolnshire in Oxford. Um the the sort of the story on the back tells the fact that they were it was terrible, terrible rain on the journey, but they were pleased to get away from the wedding without anyone getting at the car, which... Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, sounds a little bit kind of terrifying, but they, they obviously got away with that.
2: Um, yeah, they so they... Like, they stopped... all, like all rituals, it has, it has more than one side to it. It could be quite dark, the whole business of the... Yeah. Destroying your car or <laughs> adding terrible rattling sounds. Yeah, they, they managed to avoid
4: that one anyway. Uh, so they spent the, the first night in Oxford, and then they I think they spent the... Re- they, this was actually written not from Stonehenge, but then they travelled via Stonehenge to Bournemouth, where they spent the rest of their... I guess they had a week there. Um, but it's, it's written from mum to my uh, other grandmother, who lived in Lincolnshire... And I, I like the last line of it, which where she just says, "I'll oh, write later on in the week." By the way, have you found our marriage certificate? Which um... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe they were never married, and that's um, you kidding. know, if, if I was to delve too deeply, that it it was never legally it never legally happened. But um, oh, I think it yeah. speaks
2: of the of the the sort of happy chaos of a wedding day, doesn't it? do yes. You don't, yeah. You're running around with your guests, and you're not thinking about. Hang on, we need that actual thing. <laughs> and i also like there's a there's a brilliant postmark
4: on it which is it's a sort of a strange looking kind of it's almost like a illustration from a one of the moomin books uh it's like a it's, it's an odd little character um in a big hat and um sunglasses by the looks of it but it's it's just the the postmark is bournemouth for that autumn tan because i know they got married in september so and i can just about worked that out but yeah it's uh it's it's one of the few bits of well actually one of the few bits of my mother's handwriting that i still possess and it it, instantly i look at it and i'm kind of transported back to uh you know when i last saw her which is god 30 years ago or something and just that you know just the the slant of her handwriting just the look of it is i i I would recognise it. I, I'd like to think anywhere, um, even you know, yes. if it wasn't wasn't signed by, I probably wouldn't. But there's it, definitely looking at it. I can,
2: you know, it, it's really evocative. Well, I go through boxes and boxes and boxes of postcards. Um, I'm afraid, and um, obviously they've all got different handwriting on and so on. And just very occasionally, I'll find one completely arresting. Yeah, because I, I think oh, and it, because it's like. My father's handwriting or my mother's handwriting and it's 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 like hearing a voice that you didn't expect yeah it, it's as immediate and as sort of um powerful as that absolutely we yeah. seem to have a you know you, you 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 aren't always aware that you have this mental template of the you know what it looks like, but when you see it it has that effect
4: yes um i mean the the other nice thing about about this postcard so the postcard actually came to me I think my cousin found it a few years ago I I guess when he was clearing out my aunt's house um, he must have found it in a box of ephemera and I think she would have salvaged it from in turn from um my my grandfather's and my grandmother's house so it's kind of it's it came it came back to me in in a very roundabout way i'd never seen it obviously before that point um it predates me obviously um but and it's it's weird to think that it's you know dates from 56 years ago this
2: postcard which is a really strange thought um yes yes and 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 Postcards are meant to be sent and to travel from one place to another, but yours has, has travelled a more complicated journey. But it's found its way. You weren't the original in- intended recipient, but you're you're not a bad recipient to have it now.
4: No, I'm I'm pleased I've got it, and it ties in nicely because uh, I've got a a couple of I've got an album of their photos from from their honeymoon, and there's two brilliant photos that they took which are in in sort of that beautiful kind of glossy 60s monochrome um they they took one of each other standing in front of one of the other big stones there at stonehenge actually the the one with that iconic cnd symbol that had been graffitied on it so so there's one of my dad stood there um take from a little bit further away where he's there in his trench coat, just sort of looking straight at the camera. And then there's one of my mum in a, looks like in a sheepskin jacket and a sort of quite a shortish skirt and a, and a headscarf on looking quite dapper. So, um, yeah, I I just love pictures. Yeah, they're great, aren't they? And I do remember we went on and they weren't to the, to the best of my memory. They weren't massively into old architecture and all, all this kind of stuff. And, and, all the kind of things that I'm into. But I wonder if they did have a kind of, a bit of a sort of, a fondness for them because we certainly, we did, we ended up on quite a lot of holidays in the Southwest of England. And we certainly visited Avebury and Stonehenge at a later date. And I do remember, I remember dad being quite disappointed by it because I suspect it was, this would have been in like the early '80s, mid '80s, when we went back to, it, or when when I went to it for the first time, because obviously you're you you don't get to wander around the stones like they did, and you know, that was his <laughs> his previous memory of just sort of going right up to them and, yes. clambering around them. So, but we we certainly did go on lots of holidays where we may, maybe I kind of begged to sort of visit lots of strange places but <laughs> I, I certainly remember loving a holiday we had to Dartmoor because of all of the legends and the the devil visiting one of the villages and all the kind of mysteries around the tours and all, all various things like that so there were certainly these kind of odd places with historical connections that certainly I think did end up becoming a bit of a a thing and that I guess that later fed into well, it, it, even from that early
2: point, it fed into kind of my interests, really. And do you think Stonehenge has a has a sort of nice? Does it have a mr a weird feeling to it, or is it? I mean, now it's it's going to be joined by a tunnel to the road, and it's it's quite cut off from the you know the the vibes of that. I think now, isn't it? Yeah,
4: I I think it is. I mean, I I've, I've been past it a couple of times recently and sort of glanced at it from the traffic jam on the road and i've been a few years ago i've been to Avery um more recently which i do think is i, I don't know in some ways it's a bit more magical because you can get away from the, the crowds a bit and obviously it's the the vast scale of of the of that place it's um you can you can go and kind of do more exploration on your own there whereas yes Stonehenge, end you're you you're kind of corralled into the the bits you can go and look from a distance in so yeah it's may, maybe if you timed it right and you happen to be there when no one else or was around but yeah. does that ever happen i'm not sure
2: i think perhaps maybe someone should, should write the um the stonehenge ghost story actually um the sort of revenge of the stones on the the sort of um uh, commodification of the whole process I mean, that would be uh, yeah i'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure someone's <laughs> working on it even now
4: well there's certainly kind of avebury has got um features in quite a few things which I talked about I to talk about stonehenge a little bit in my book as well but avebury has got a few um, a few kind of ghostly tv adaptations and things that that utilize the kind of weird mystery of those of the those standing stones there so yeah stonehenge that there's a famous quatermass series from the late 70s which uh, you had all these effectively kind of hippie kind of teenage hippies who were really uh thinking they were going to be saved by visitors from the stars and kind of beamed to a better life but all all of these things took place these kind of mass beaming ups took place at various stone circles where the energy was channeled through and it it didn't end well for them so that was something i remember watching (laughs) at uh, quite a young age so (laughs)
2: i think i think stonehenge perhaps has lost some magic through through just it's become so it, through iteration there is so many for example postcards that the image of the thing is so familiar that it um it perhaps loses its visual impact to you the imaginative visual impact
4: yeah i mean it's i think when you when you see older images of it you know you know some of those turner paintings and some of those kind of earlier um engravings and things where you see it in this kind of Quite pastoral landscape with sheep just wandering around. That they're yes. they're really quite impressive, and I think because they they add a they add a, a different angle to it. That yeah has moved beyond that those quite iconic images that we we we've, we've
2: come to know really. Absolutely, well I think um, I, I'll throw I'll throw a theory at you. I don't know if it has any uh, validity to this theory, but I, I was fascinated reading your. Um, The coverage, or the way you talked about the various uh, great masters of the of the ghost story and and the weird story, some of whom I'm familiar with, uh, but not with the 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 depth that you are. But the the sort of height of a lot of these books, the the moment when a lot of these, when Britain decided to write weird stories all the time, basically, seems to have been the turn of the century. Is that right? Around 1900, there were a lot, or 1910, there were a lot of stories being written then. Yeah, I mean there was certainly. You know, that was
4: when M.R. James was, I would say, at at his peak. There were other writers around then like E.F. Benson and Algernon Blackwood. So it, it was a, a golden moment. And it was also a, a point when lots of more mainstream writers, so you know, people who were more famous just for writing more kind of standard novels, every, everyone would kind of write Try their hand at a, at a ghost story or two. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a much more
2: ubiquitous thing at that point, I think, as a, as a well, form, definitely. What what I would add to that, then, that is the absolute height of the picture postcard boom. That's when okay. more postcards were written and produced than any other time before or after. And um, I'm sure there's absolutely no connection between those two facts, <laughs> but they were happening in parallel to each other um i don't know this sort of maybe the industrialization of the image and then something people looking for this sort of weird unique moment i don't know i don't know if there's any way you can find a connection between the two or it's simply that these were train tracks in parallel to each other i don't know
4: no well it's i guess it's the i mean a lot of ghost stories they're about they're about kind of the the they're a bit of a harking back really Yes. and so maybe there's an element of that with postcards in that you're you're commemorating the that that trip that you've just taken and, and sharing that moment that will will soon be soon be gone and then kind of forgotten about. So you know maybe there's a, a
2: slight link there possibly. Well, postcards were seen as a as a um uh, a symbol of a terrible dangerous acceleration of society. Everything was moving. I know we we now think of them as uh, uh, rather cozy and slow but they were seen as um, immediate and and slightly uh, awkward as a result, it was sort of um, uncomfortable, that you could whiz yeah. these messages back and forth two or three times a day. And that was seen as, in some circles, seen as a little bit of a, an anxious thing for society to deal with. So maybe it was sort of, they were modern, and then they, they, they were part of a modern movement. And, and as a result, you're kind of a little bit anxious, and you think, well, we'd better look, look 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 back at that comfortingly terrifying past. I don't know. <laughs>
4: Yeah, well, that that's kind of the appeal of lots of in in ghost stories. You know, it's uh, there is that element that if you if you weren't meddling with things you shouldn't
2: have messed around with, stuff would have been okay. Or, but ghost stories are not nostalgic on the whole. They're normally, I mean, the past is not a great place in ghost stories. It's not like nostalgia.
4: Yeah, it's um. Well, <laughs> I suppose that ghost stories are they're They're wide and varied, so it's it's kind of hard yes. to sort of sum them up really there, There's such a, a huge variety of, of stuff going on in them, I think that certainly in the in the better ones that it it's kind of quite hard to dissect them and and try and point to exactly what the what the, how they kind of mirror society, I think because there, there's all sorts of different facets really.
3: Do you think Absolutely. you can say though that ghost stories or stories about supernatural things? There, there's a kind of common thread of anxiety, right? I mean, the things that they describe are are the things that we would all mostly be scared of. Doors closing, nobody being there, figures in places where there shouldn't be figures. It's kind of undercurrent of a, unease and anxiety in the reader, every reader of ghost stories.
4: Yeah, I think that there is there is a... They do kind of... they They play on those internal fears that we have so that's uh, and that's uh we all have those so so it's it's a good if you're writing a story you're going to find a wide audience with something that appeals to those uh wide fears that that are yeah that are fairly commonplace so so there's there's certainly that i mean you, you can you can look at you can look at story you can look at kind of wider events and things like the the great war and how how that kind of impinges on on ghost stories and things as well and you know how suddenly all all of that kind of all of that tragedy and horror unfolding how how that's kind of reflected in in different types of ghost stories that might emerge or 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 kind of how it, it slightly you know changes things really and then then there's kind of i guess how I think as as we kind of move on through the 20th century there's there's more of a that more that that kind of psychological ghost story um well there, there were some of those earlier you know if you look at henry james rather than mr james mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the turn of the screw but certainly you know, you know get to somebody in the 60s like robert aikman and you you've got much more a lot more kind of ambiguity and psychological ambiguity going on although you've got that earlier in somebody like a brilliant writer walter de la mare also the, mm. a poet mm. and just writer of plays and other short stories um but i suppose there's yeah there's there's there, there's a whole host of people out there doing different things um mr james is is much more very very kind of straight-laced and his his stories are great but they 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 they're often there's not all that much ambiguity in them they they're really about uh, an old academic or middle-aged academic who's um, poking around in something that they shouldn't go poking around in. Not that they would necessarily know that they shouldn't always be doing this. So sometimes it, they're, they're quite kind of cruel and harsh in that actually it's just somebody doing their job and being curious. But the, I mean, there is. I think there is kind of all sorts of... Freudian stuff potentially going on there but it's 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 hard to get it's it's definitely more kind of buried away than with some of those other writers who are, are playing on more psychological fears and things so
2: yeah very good very good oh well I mean I think um if, if anyone needs to find out more about the variety of uh, ghost stories and weird stories they should they should they should um look at Ghostland really well um quick extra card from me now this is this is a card of uh, london airport at dusk as it says in a rather um <laughs> grim sort of uh, um joined up font on, on the front and um and it, it is london airport does i think probably taken from a sort of control tower because we're looking down on it um fans of 1960s cars would enjoy looking at the car park um i don't know one car from another there really you'll see number one building europa and the lights have just come on on, on the, uh, what do you call it, the apron, where they're going to taxi to to the runway. And this card, I can't see the date on it exactly. Um, it's pre-decimalisation, though, so it's in the 60s. It's sent to Rugby, or um, Wolf Woodford House near Rugby. Uh, sent from Stonybridge, I think. Uh, someone called, well, family, actually. Rex, Molly and the children send this one. And it's just an insight into what people got up to in their trip to London, I suppose, interesting to me. It said, uh, "'Planes are leaving London Airport continuously, "'so I'm sure it must be the safest way to travel. "'We saw one leave for Mallorca, but not Ibiza. "'It was quite an experience to visit the airport. "'We've also been to the Zoo, Hampton Court and Crystal Palace. "'Rather a hectic holiday,' but it makes a change. <laughs> so I just thought the stuff that you choose to get up to in your trip to London was interesting. I mean, They they, they must have taken a, a trip out to Heathrow to look at the aeroplanes. Um, I
3: remember doing... I mean, I'm not quite that old, but I remember going to the local airport probably at the very end of the 70s. Really? And I think we just went to look at planes. Where was that? Newcastle. Right. I'm sure if you said that to a... 6 7 year old now they'd look at you like you were insane
4: we we did as well i definitely remember <laughs> going to to heathrow for the day and taking oh, my, well, this could taking have been my granddad. You. so yeah this 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 could be it looks a little bit bit older than my time but <laughs> yes definitely there'd I be kind the, of cortinas uh, and things on on my one but
3: i love the romanticism you know it's not london airport it's london airport at dusk and yes. the, the lights and the shade of blue of the sky at twilight they've tried to make the airport look really Glamorous and exotic, yes. which I guess pa- it was. Paris in the
2: spring, London airport at dusk. <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> also, it's I was very intrigued very they went morning. to Crystal
2: Palace. They, they, they went to Crystal... I mean, there was nothing at Crystal Palace. I mean, they, they presumably went to Crystal Palace Park and saw the dinosaurs. But there wasn't a Crystal Palace at Crystal Palace unless they went to watch, watch Crystal Palace play football. I don't know. It's, it's a, they must have known someone who's in South London, I suppose. I don't
0: know. <laughs> anyway, they had a lovely time. They had a lovely time. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST
2: and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You're listening to podcasts from the past, the Postcard Podcast. My guests today are Edward Parnell and Emma Flint. Uh, and here's a surprise we've received a postcard. And this postcard, uh, it's Royal London, uh, five views of London, including one of the Queen, uh, and it's sent from uh, A.K. Ballard of Wembley Park, Middlesex, and they say the difference is 10 hours, 49 minutes. I'm afraid that's that's the wrong answer. A.K. Ballard, better luck next time. On with the postcard stories. Emma, what's the second card you've got for us today?
3: The second card... Um, strangely, both the postcards I bought today um, relate to my work as a writer, and they both come from around the same time, the late 90s, when I was living in Scotland. So the second postcard is um, a print of a painting called Windows in the West by a Scottish artist called Avril Payton, which she painted in 1993, and which is, or at least it was when I saw it, in the Kelvin Grove Gallery in Glasgow. Wow. Um And it's it's one of my favourite paintings. Um, I think it's a, it's a really lovely painting and it's really interesting to look at. Um, I think I first saw it probably... 97 or 98 when I was living in Edinburgh and I went over to Glasgow for a weekend to see my best friend who was living there at the time and I remember I don't remember anything about that day I don't remember anything else about the gallery but I remember seeing the painting for the first time and I remember being completely drawn in and walking towards it as though it was a magnet and wanting to see the detail of what was in the painting so the first thing that drew me in was the perspective because you're looking at it Depending on which floor you look at, it's almost like your position changes. So you, you think you're at eye level with the top floor. But when you look at the ground floor, the, the perspective is very
2: steep. and it's, It feels like we're looking down it generally. Feels, yes.
3: Um, I found out recently, uh, a couple of years ago, I think, I was looking at it and I just Googled the author and the painting's got its own Wikipedia page. Of course, really? everything has its own Wikipedia page now. And I found out that um, the painter was caretaking the attic flat in the building opposite. So she was presumably Perfect. above the top floor, which is why you have this weird, steep, sharp... Angle. <laughs> she didn't waste her time when she was there. <laughs> she didn't. She painted it, um, or at least she... I'm not a painter, so I'll probably get this wrong, but she drafted it and sketched it out and planned it. Um In a couple of hours, I think, there was apparently a really heavy snowfall in one day, January 1993, in Glasgow, and the painting just came together really quickly. Um, So you've got... Although I think it was... The the scene is early afternoon. You have this almost um, twilight sky Mm. and all the windows are lit up because obviously it's quite dark outside because of the snow. Um, It's like a snapshot of life you know, within a few hours in a very specific time in a very specific place. Um, it's it's There's a hint of rear
2: window going on here, isn't there? Yeah. There yeah, is I a hint of rear well. window,
3: yeah. That's the thing that I like most about it. So um, at first when I saw it, I thought it was a house, and then as I got closer I realised it's a tenement building with lots of flats, and I got really interested in the slivers of life, and they are slivers because the windows are very tall and thin, um it's like life has been sliced up and shown to you in um sort of small yeah small slices um you've got the drinks party in one window you've got someone at a desk and then you've got um at the top right there's a figure in a window the more I look at that you know I'm looking at it now and the more I look at it the more I'm I'm never sure if that's a person or a a statue or a, a doll, it's quite <sighs> creepy when you stare at it for a long time.
2: Which window is this?
3: Um, it's the top right, it's the top floor, and it's yes. the right-hand side next to the turret.
2: Yes, Yeah. it, looks like it could be a writer at a desk, could it?
3: Or... Could be, could be someone looking out, because you can't see their face, which yes. is quite creepy. Um, and yeah, what I, what I really love about it is all these private lives that are visible in a very public way so you've got the lighted windows the dark sky kind of uh almost like a stage at stage set for each flat and how the artist is inviting us to be nosy and to be curious about what's happening behind each window the same way that she was um she's actually in the painting she's the figure at the front door at the bottom Ah. Um, a dark kind of dark mass um and the reason that I brought it along, the reason that I suppose I like it and I'm struck by it and it's had an impression on me, is that I think this kind of nosiness about the detail of other people's lives is why I write and why I write fiction. I'd much yes. rather write about the snapshots of real life like this than about, you know, a royal wedding or the assassination of JFK or something. Um, the Ordinary people in ordinary flats in an ordinary street that's what really interests me and it kind of links back to when you asked us earlier about um a a place that had had a that had that had had a deep impression on us i think that house that i talked about that i lived in for uh seven or eight years when i was a child it was a really it was a ordinary you know semi detached three bedroom house in a suburb of a big city in a street of houses that all looked the same. And I used to walk up and down the street, and even though I knew the people who lived in the houses, I used to make up stories about (laughs) what might be going on behind the front door. I find that absolutely fascinating. Um, I write novels about true crime, about murders that really happened, and I've always found that one of the most interesting things about the most awful Crimes, murders, is the way that ordinary life can co- coexist alongside, alongside the ordinariness of life. So, you have no idea what's happening in that house, really. You can't, you can't tell. Um, you know, a murderer can get the bus to work every day and go to Tesco at lunchtime and then go home at night to a body under the floorboards. Yes. That's what I find really fascinating about, about, ordinary life like that.
2: And I suppose the street, the street you're talking about, that you grew up on, is all compressed into this picture here because there's mm, lots yes. of households just in the yes. one, in the one building. It's like the film Grand Hotel or something, isn't it? They're all all these different stories are going on.
3: Yes, exactly. And when I first saw the painting, um, I remember a feeling, almost feeling, a sort of sense of recognition, even though I'd never seen it before. I thought, well. here's someone who's as interested in what goes on behind the neck curtains as I am. Um, I want to know more about this.
2: And this, this painting has a particularly sort of um, uh, precise, fine line about it. It's, mm. it's painted in a very detailed um, pernickety way, isn't it? So they, they, it is, The detail matters.
3: The detail does matter, uh, the same way that the detail matters to me in what I write. I do like I don't, you know, I like impressionist paintings. I, I don't necessarily always love paintings like this, but in terms, of a, in terms of the story that it's telling me about the lives that are going on in this building at this particular uh, afternoon in 1993, I think the detail's really important.
2: Yeah, it's very good. So I wanted to, did want to say one thing about reading Little Death, and I, I, was, I didn't quite know how you did this, because it, it was a good trick, is that it felt authentically American it felt like I was in Queens in nineteen sixty five but I never felt that you were ventriloquizing that you were putting on an accent it, 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 it does that makes and i don't yeah. quite know but i don't quite know how you then made it feel so american I, I, something about it was very it, it was deftly done, whatever it was, you hid the way you did it because it was it, <laughs> i just felt I was there.
3: Oh well thank you. I don't know how I did it either. Oh, I do what? think <laughs> I, I wish there was an easy answer. Um I do I have to say I someone American read that novel in a in a very early draft. Um gosh years before it was published and she she was from New York and she said to me oh you haven't got it right you can't do you can't you can't write American was the way she put it. Hmm. And I went home all kind of abashed and yeah. disappointed and so I changed the setting to um, Newcastle in the northeast which is where really. I grew up and Ruth Malone had a headscarf and a pinny and and I read it I thought this is wow, so bad this, is, <laughs> this book is so bad um, I spent about three weeks on it and I wrote about 10,000 words and it's no one will ever ever see it it was terrible and I thought what am I doing it but could,
2: you you went through a process there didn't I you? I
3: went through a process. I thought it belongs in Queens. It belongs in the time and the place where it happens. That's the story. Places, is as Ed was saying earlier, place is, is so important. And to me because I grew up in um urban suburban settings, it's it's towns and cities that that resonate with me.
2: Well, it's, somehow it did it, as I say it felt very um lucid I didn't feel the language was in the way but it but um, and I think maybe you maybe you didn't you kept a lot of um it would be easy to put a lot of pop culture references in things to try and place them Mm. and I think you probably avoided that which gave it a, a different feel
3: yeah I I do remember doing quite a lot of research and making lists of brands and then I I remember lying in the bath one day and I thought this is daft I don't say to myself I'm putting boots bubble bath in my bath <laughs> you know I don't read out my shampoo label as I'm washing my hair mm, I fancy and... some
2: Kellogg's cornflakes
3: <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, it's just not natural it's not how people think and talk
2: yeah yeah well it, it, it worked it 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 definitely takes the reader to that place in that time and and it's not entirely pleasant process being there either
3: well, it's not entirely pleasant in my head sometimes. So I'm quite keen for other people to come in and share that.
2: <laughs> you can share it too. No, it's 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 a very impressive book. Um, now, um, Ed, what's your final card you've got for us? This is not a family card, I think. This is a something from, or is it? It's an older card, that's for sure.
4: Yeah, this is a card I think I paid. Because I can see on the back, there's in pencil three pounds. I paid three pounds for three it. Three pounds, yeah, which was quite a lot. But I was. These quite, writers earn too much money. I know. Well,
3: yeah, we're so I, overpaid.
4: Yeah, I was very taken by it. It's a it's a postcard from 19, I, from nineteen eleven, and on the front, it's um, it's a illustration of a couple uh, who've just got married, just exiting the church. And underneath that the the new bride seems looks very serene uh, the husband <laughs> kind of has a very worried look on his face <laughs> underneath underneath it is the caption United and divided um, so that's in that sort of I guess that piqued my interest but the thing that really the, the, the main interest for me is what, is when you turn it over so it's it's a card say it's it's sent in either July or June, 1911 and it's sent to a a Mr Fowler of Broadstairs and in the correspondence side uh, there's only a few words no punctuation it says and now I defy you to do it and it, it <laughs> is underlined and I just love the the kind of hidden story of what's going on here yeah. so is this is this his kind of lady friend writing to him saying, you know, come on, we need to get married now. <laughs> is it is it a friend of his sort of knowing he needs to do? I, I kind of often thought it was about he needs to he's got to sort of leave the person he's with and be with someone else.
2: But so, it so shouldn't, all, shouldn't be un, it should be you should be underlined, not it. Yes. I defy yeah. you. To, for, and mm. do they mean defy or do they mean dare? well i suppose as a negativity you're
4: right in it. It, you're right it's, it's a different meaning isn't it so we, we I've, can I've, tell what
2: they mean but
4: yeah well there's, there's so many mysteries there <laughs> um i i just i just like it now when i when uh, you emailed about coming on the podcast i then thought i ought to just look up a bit more about this card so it and i do wonder if some of this stuff you know, there's a much more prosaic um interpretation that you could have i i, I don't like this interpretation as much but <laughs> so this card was apparently by an artist called fred spurgeon um oh, yes. who was born in 1882 or thereabouts and lived till his 80s so he died in 1968 he was apparently russian born and moved here as a child um which i guess is, is quite interesting in itself but so this is from a from the harem series of, oh yes, of of cards, which when I sort of first looked at the harem series, what's what's, <laughs> what's all that about? But when you look at it more closely, so that the bride is is wearing quite an odd dress, which I I really didn't pick up on. This was not the thing that jumped out at me, but she's she's wearing um a harem skirt which was a, a fashion item that was introduced around i think 1910 1911 most notably by a famous french designer called paul Poiret. Uh, but these were these kind of they were i guess an appropriated fashion those kind of um aladdin sort of trousers that you see in in old illustrations or, or more recently the the sort of thing that mc hammer wore on um, the hammer time video so but the, these obviously became a kind of fashion item which were meant to sort of be quite liberating for women around in that sort of early edwardian period so i guess they were also quite controversial and shocking in that this was women wearing trousers now so there must be all kind of you know tied in and connotations with um suffragettes and things and i think one of the one of the um one of the cards in the series, when you look them up, also has a sort of there's a woman's meeting going on where the 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 woman is is wearing these trousers and isn't allowed in because she's wearing the trousers. So, the, so I'm guessing that this is a that, you know this was a satirical series of cards. So, the and now I defy you to do it could simply have been
2: well um, I, I think, to wear such trousers. Oh no, it's sent to although, a although of course yeah, this is
4: to a man. So maybe I don't think that really that really holds up so I'd still like to think that actually it's the it's the united and divided that to me kind of jumps out at me and this kind of
2: it's outrageous really (laughs) you see she's wearing such a sort of feminine skirt it looks like a skirt she happens to have these sort of effectively leggings underneath yeah this is you'd think this was you it's hard to see it as such a controversial thing yeah and yet they had to mock it in a postcard and, and yeah. he looks terribly anxious as a result. I mean, he's, and his eyes, he's looking down at it, isn't he? Looking down at her, her trousers, her ankles. He is, Maybe and he I feels
4: guess
0: just,
2: that... He's disappointed because he doesn't get to see her ankles. Maybe that's what
4: it is. And I guess that's the, the point of the postcard is that he's, oh, God, what have I got myself into? I'm marrying someone who 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 wears <laughs> who this. Wears but, yeah. But that isn't... Too late what now, I,
2: mate. Too late that,
4: now. That isn't what I took from it. I sort of took the, oh, it's a, it's a kind of funny picture of, you know a, a couple who've got married and he's having second thoughts i i didn't i didn't oh, yes. even notice these these trousers that was i just sort of <laughs> it, yeah
2: it's 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 very odd but you on, on the it's um it says you're right on the back it says harem series and it says harem series number 853 i don't think there were 853 of these comic cards about harem trousers surely not I think there were twelve. I, I I did a bit of googling before I, I came. I think eight five three must refer to the series number, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. It'll be the eight yeah. hundred and fifty third series that Interart did of comic cards by Fred Spurgeon or something. Probably, yeah. But you know, it's a nice card, and it's a it's a beautiful thing, and it's got this weird little mystery vibrating around it.
4: Yeah, that's that's the thing that without that I I wouldn't have bought it. It's the
2: and now I defy you to do it. That's the that's the thing for me. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. And you don't have to take it out of context. There is no context. Yeah. It just sits there.
3: And like you said, it's the it that's underlined, not the you or the do or the now. All the words that they could have chosen to underline.
2: Yeah. Imagine if this had been one of the cards found underneath your heroine's bed. You'd have had a whole new chapter to write.
3: Yeah. I mean, And now I defy you to
2: do it. I mean...
3: Kill the children.
2: For example. Have
3: an affair. (laughs) Yeah, I yeah. think but this is a good writing prompt.
2: It is threat. Yeah, it is threatening. I think it's not. It's not entirely. A ha- I'm sure it's meant to be jolly and. Ma- maybe and... if if we did further research of, of Mr
4: Fowler of St Peter's Road Broadstairs, we'd find that he was then a sort of. He went on to murder his wife or
2: something. So I guess we probably shouldn't do that. But. And sometimes these things are best left unresearched. <laughs> yeah, well... I
3: wonder. When I look at this, I. You know, now someone would put a smiley emoji after, after it. Yeah. We're lacking punctuation and emojis to, yeah. to lighten yeah. it up.
2: In fact, in a lot of cars from that period, the messages were sort of banterish. They were, they were full of jollity and, and, and sort of little teases and so on. Um, I think sometimes people forget that in the past, people made jokes too. It, it, mm. um, not everything was serious. Well, the other thing with this, of course, is
4: that we don't know who's sending the card. But it isn't signed or anything. No. So, mm. presumably, Mister Fowler would have known who this person is, but it it, it could equally be just an
2: anonymous <laughs> postcard, which
3: is <laughs> imagine getting that through. Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least he'd have understood the trouser reference more more quickly than we have. But yes. <laughs> I
3: wonder what well, Mrs, Mrs Fowler thought of it, if there was a Mrs Fowler.
2: Maybe it was from Mrs Fowler. Maybe it was. The first Mrs Fowler. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, um, I, I, I think we should leave this mysteriously vibrating on the page. That's, that's an excellent card. Um, thank you both so much. Um, I've said it before, I never know where the cards will send us. Um, I'm delighted that you shared them with me and with each other and, and with our listeners. Another quick reminder for everyone at home, images of these cards... Um, are going to be on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, and you can see that we didn't make any of it up. Now, before we let uh, Ed and Emma off the line into the heatwave, let them grab a Zoom or a Fab or a Mivi. Um, I've got one more postcard for you both. It's customary for us to own the show on one of these. Um, I would normally hand this to you in the studio, but we're not in the studio. Um, So you have to look on your sheet. Um, But if you look on your sheet at the last card there, um, you should see... Uh, a dark street scene. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. Um, and this is a normal size postcard, same size, I'm sure, as, as the Fred Spurgeon we just looked at. And it's a sort of neon lit street. Um, and this card is uh, Warsaw by night. Uh, it's actually Jerusalem Street or Aleja jerozolimski uh, in, in Warsaw. And um, you can see the the, the white dot in the middle of the card um and regular listeners will be familiar with this this is a record postcard it's a postcard that you can put on a turntable and play like oh, a record right. wow and, and and this one um this one is there were these were sold commercially across uh, uh europe but the polish ones were slightly different in this this would have been a normal postcard um on which they have then stamped the record grooves into the the, the the gloss, the laminate on it. Um, and you would actually go to a particular shop to do this. There are a couple of shops like this in Warsaw. And the assistant in the shop would record a little message and then, in this case, sort of interpolate it into the music. Um, Tom has got a digital file of this, so if we ask him very nicely, Tom, Tom from Wardle Studios, um, we can hear it and... Uh, uh, and you get an idea of how it works.
3: That's amazing.
2: A romantic sounding. It is,
0: yeah.
3: You think of postcards as just just being about what you can see. I would never, ever have thought it would be about what you can hear.
2: Well, I've, um, I've chatted to my Polish correspondent and she tells me this song is about um, the uh, lake area where people might... say It's a sort of song about the lovely lakes and glens. that are, You might have a Scottish romantic song about it. Uh, this is the yeah. Polish version of the lovely lakes.
3: It, it doesn't match the uh, the picture no. on the front, then, at all.
2: Well, I would suggest that the messages on the back of postcards very rarely match the picture. That's true.
3: <laughs> That's true. This is my sorry, I was just gonna say this is my favourite postcard of the of the (laughs) ones that you've shown us (laughs) 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 of the ones that you've shown us today, Tom. And I had no idea what it was.
2: I'm very glad. If we keep listening. (laughs) She's dedicating it to the person it's being sent to. So the woman in the shop has recorded this bit and added it in somehow to the recording. So this isn't the sender. This is the the shop worker. Yeah, I think that's right. So it's that's like so a radio works. dedication, if you like. Yeah.
3: Why don't we strange? do this anymore?
2: Exactly. Exactly. We
3: should do this now. <laughs> Why <Well, I> suppose <laughs> we do? We leave <laughs> voicemails, don't we?
2: Yeah. If it came as a voicemail, it would, maybe maybe people would feel stressed when they go. Oh no! No another message.
3: Yes, that's true. Whereas this has the the kind of I don't need to reply to it. Yeah. Um, effect of a postcard.
2: Although
4: you do I, I, have to listen to the whole song, which you, if you're thinking there might be something relevant in it, and then actually it's a song
2: about the the lakes region of yes. you know, sort of northern Poland or something. And That's it's like, true. What what's, what's well, other ones me? I have, they put the message at the beginning, but this one it sort of interrupts it like a news flash in the middle. <laughs> I guess. Very curious. Very curious.
4: And did the sender also write something on the
2: back of it, or was it just the this the one didn't message? didn't have a message on the back. Um, right. I think it was sent to the UK. Which is probably why I've got it. Um, I think it was sent, as I said sort of, the, the message was here's some memories of, of, of Poland so.
3: and do you know that when when it was sent I
2: think in the mid60s hmm.
3: so,
2: um, under the PRL time in Poland well as the view of Warsaw by night <laughs> continues to rotate at exactly <laughs> 33 and a third revolutions per minute, That's it for this time on Podcasts from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Emma Flint and Edward Parnell. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. see more postcards with their messages posted every day on twitter do follow me at past postcard and you can buy the book postcard from the past by me tom jackson at amazon and all good booksellers and if you're looking for podcast production check out WardorStudios.co.uk.